to another episode of Bastard Pastors. I don't know how old it, how many there are anymore. Thirty six. I think it's like thirty three. Thirty three. I have a bet. Um, I have a bet. I'd say thirty three. And we are here with a friend of the show. Are we allowed to say that? Can Ooh. we say friend yes. of the show? We never had friend of the show before. Well, I can be the first. Our our first repeat uh, oh. guest yes. ever. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, well, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, we've never had a repeat guest. Uh, Mandy Smith, pastor of. You, how many C's are in there? C's? C-C, two. Just two, I always thought it was three. You C-C-C, you C-C. <laughs> no, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> you C-C-C. You C-C. Um, and they're in Clifton, and they're a really awesome church. I always tell people who are looking, I'm like, that church is awesome, you should totally go there. I think we've um, recommended your church before we've recommended our own. Oh, that's before. hilarious. I think we said, um, try them. If it doesn't work, then maybe you'll <laughs> like us after that. Uh, does... Uh, Harold and his wife still go yeah. there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, that's one I was like, yeah, man, you're gonna love it there. It's great. Um, Does everybody on the podcast know them? I don't uh, think I don't, so. I they you know Harold, but I think Harold listens to this. Hey, hey Harold. Harold. <laughs> I don't think they they didn't hang around Legend at all. No, they, no, no, they no, were they, on Red Tree. Yeah, they came. They were because they were part of that uh, the the other church plant, that Red Door or whatever that was there, uh, Oaks yeah. or whatever Oaks. for a while. Um, so, but I well, actually what I wanted to talk to you about instead of just our usual. Whatever. Because we just spent like an hour and a half talking. I know. Just informally talking. Mandy mentored us for a little bit and encouraged us, which is what you're really good at. (laughs) Uh, That's what I tell people whenever I meet with you. I'm like, oh, it's like you walk away feeling like I need to do better, but I feel good about what I'm doing. That's (laughs) That's good. That's the best part. It's like, oh, I'm going to do better, but I'm awesome at what I'm doing now. Um, So, but you have, and this all came from, I'm going to get the story too, um, sort of a festival mm-hmm. that's going to happen this summer Yes, that kind of came from some sort of uh, enlightenment moment that you had. Yeah. Uh, so it's called the All Things New Festival. Uh, tell us tell us the origins. Yeah. Well, probably way back a few years ago is where it really started, although I had no idea it would become a fest. Um, <laughs> is that a cool new word now? I fest, don't know. Fest. It's a fest. It's a fest. Um, Why am I saying this? Oh, so a few years ago, I felt called to pray for healing for some folks in our congregation. And so we were planning our first healing prayer service, which was actually terrifying to me because I'm not from a tradition that's ever done that before. And I didn't know... Physical healing. Yeah. So I didn't know, like, am I going to get people's hopes up if I ask God to heal Mm -hmm. them and then he doesn't? And am I going to make God look bad? And am I going to look bad? And it was kind of scary for me. And um, I felt God the day or two before kind of asking me like if you really believed I was going to heal them wouldn't you be celebrating that already like wouldn't it show your faith in me if you already celebrated that Mm. um and of course you know that helped me think about the fact that I do believe we all will be healed the only question is if it'll be in this life or the next and so if I believe that then wouldn't I be celebrating that now even if it's not for this life and so um, he said to me, dance for the healing to come. And I'm not a dancer. I actually loved dancing when I was a kid, but I've long since outgrown my freedom in that <laughs> and outgrown in bed commas, I guess. So um, the night before that healing prayer time, I went to the church very reluctantly because I felt like it was an act of obedience and um, went into the empty sanctuary. And thankfully, the cafe next door had a jazz concert. So (laughs) So I cleared the chairs and I stood in the place where we were going to have the prayer time. And um, I imagined the people who we were going to be praying for. And I I tried to dance for the healing to come, imagining what it would be like to see them healed and whole. 
and it was the most awkward dance. I think I'm glad there was nobody watching. <laughs> so it wasn't like footloose in the no, empty sort of. There was not this like free abandon because it was like a dance. I mean, when you dance out of obedience and not out of real it's release. It's more of a sway and a snap. I, it was like really. I imagined the way that Elaine danced. <laughs> This like jerky, oh. you know, like this kind of thing. Wow! And um, I don't even remember. I don't, I had my eyes closed so tight because I didn't even want to see my own awkwardness. But I was like, I was sweating at the end of it, and it wasn't because I was dancing so exuberantly. It was because I was like so tense. And so, but I was doing that, and something in my heart did kind of release in that time. Um, so in this backwards way the dancing actually helped me celebrate instead of normally we say like, I'm going to feel happy and so I'm going to dance. This was like, I'm going to do what I would do if I was celebrating and it's going to help me imagine what I should be celebrating. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of really helped me step into the scariness of praying in that way for those people. And he kept saying that to me and it kept coming back on different levels. And so then um, there were ways in which like, body shame issues have been released by dancing for the healing to come in my own self and in my own sense of my identity and various levels that he's used that and then um so in some way that is still something like when i'm just really overwhelmed with the brokenness of the world i feel this like dance for the healing to come for the world as mm -hmm. well so sometimes when there's nobody in the house i'll just dance in my socks in the lounge room you know and there's one song by over the rhine gonna let my soul catch my body Mm. That is like the perfect song to help me. I must play it five or six times before I actually get into the dance, you know. And so that's been something I've done by myself that I'm just like totally silly and I get over any of the like, I hope I look cool or I hope people will appreciate me or what any of that junk that comes up with dancing. Um, anyway, to answer the question, this has no connection yet to the festival thing. So, um, that's been something that I have done privately in my own home to help me believe that God is making all things new, but mm. it's very private. Yeah. I talk about the metaphor publicly, but I don't do the okay. dancing publicly. And then just a few months back, I was at Grailville, which is, um, a place here in Loveland, Ohio. Oh yeah, I think I saw, did you or somebody post I posted some photos because yeah. I was there. So this was a place that was founded in the early 20th century by a Catholic lay women's movement that there was connected with social justice stuff that was going on in a lot of the um, Catholic worker movement and stuff like that. It was women running a farm in Loveland, Ohio in like the 40s and 50s and doing all kinds of amazing justice work. And um, they have a barn there that they had a local artist shape into a worship space. So it still looks very much like a barn, and at the same time it looks... Yeah, like, I saw the pictures inside, oh, it's which gorgeous. Are, it doesn't look like it would be a barn at all. Yeah, it's, it's like, still... But it's still, on the outside, you would drive right past it and just think it was a barn. And... Um, it's cool. So I know, it's beautiful. And it's still in the middle of this farming space, you know. And I took a group of folks from the church out there just to do a tour, and I was standing there and looked back through the barn space, and I just thought, this place needs a barn dance. And I thought, oh, that's silly, you know, whatever. Um, but the idea that like barns are places where people have had dances and so have worship spaces and for it to be the kind of dance where we are dancing for the healing to come, you know. And um, then I was like just kind of being goofy with the people around me and being like, we could have an all-time camp meeting and there could be somebody preaching under every tree out there and, you know, we could have music and we could have dancing and whatever. And I suddenly felt convicted of how... Um, that Dancing for the Healing to Come has been very private. And, you know, I love Brueggemann's Prophetic Imagination book and 
and really felt feel convicted um, by his vision of the prophet. I think it's very easy for us to do the lamenting part of being prophets, mm-hmm. and especially yeah. at this time yeah. in our cultural moment. Um, but it's much harder to do the celebration. You know, his yeah. his vision from the prophets of the Old Testament is that the prophet dances and laments at the same time. And to do both of those is a huge stretch to see all that's broken and at the same time rejoice for what God is making new. Mm. And so um, I kind of realized how much I've, I'm rather extroverted in my lamenting and I'm rather introverted in my dancing. And I just suddenly longed to see what everyone else is doing in their socks in their lounge room to help them believe God is making all things new. Mm. And we need to see that from one another because there is so much to lament. <clears throat> and um, if we keep the dancing to ourselves, then we're just going to lose hope. And so I just want to have a day where we get together and say... And what's that day? The day is the 14th of July, and it's going to be at that place in Grailville, actually. They, they got really excited about my idea. And um, uh, what was I going to say? I just want to have a day where I say to people, what do you do when you believe God is making all things new? Or what do you do to help you believe God is making all things new? Come and show us. Mm. Come and do it. And so that will be partly an art show, partly music of some kind, um, partly um, spoken words. So there might be some people doing some sermonettes. There might be some people reading stories, telling poems. Um and whatever else, I'd love to see what else comes from that question for people. You know, some people might be like, one person said, I bake bread mm. when I believe God is making all things new. I'm going to bring bread to share, you know. And um, someone else I know, like, leads a hula hooping class. I'm like, could you come and do that? You know, so who knows what kind of childlike joy that might release yeah. in us. And not, not only for the sake of fun, although there's nothing wrong with fun, but for the sake of keeping our spirits alive in a broken world because we believe God is making all things new. So I don't know yet what it's going to be, and it's a little bit terrifying, but I just reached out to a bunch of people and said, let's have three meetings in the next four months, and whatever we decide in three meetings is what it's going to become. So I want to keep it super lightweight and low maintenance and no fuss, and we're just going to say to people, bring your own picnic with a little extra to share and... um, Hopefully we can organize a barn dance at the end of it, maybe a campfire, and we'll see what happens. So You use you use the phrase, I don't know, it's terrifying, and I don't know what it's going to be, like, all the time. <laughs> like, this is, this is a consistent <laughs> for you, right? I know, because most of the things God asks me to do, I would never choose to it's do. It's super fun. I am so, like, natural. I think most of the people who know me now would not recognize me from 20 mm. years ago because I... I'm like, I was the valedictorian. I am like the A-type personality who knows how to get stuff done. But if I had to get things done always to the level that I would be comfortable with, mm. I would get one thing done a week. Like, I would I would preach my sermon and it would be perfect, but I would not have time to meet with anybody yeah. or do a lot of the other things that, you know, doors open to me all the time. And so I've had to choose, like, can I be really perfect in one thing or can I be available to all the things God presents mm. to me and to do the latter means I have to be willing to to not be perfect in yeah. anything um, and that scares me as a perfectionist but at the same time it's so it's like it's like if you're on a roller coaster like you can choose to be terrified and grit your teeth the whole time or you can be like Whoa! you know yeah. this is crazy so I'm having to choose the latter but it's not my natural way well, like even been around like Christian event programming to say 
three meetings that whatever happens after that That was happens, the part of it, yeah. Like, that's... Mm-hmm. I, I want it to be, like, I actually created a little manifesto for myself to say, like, this is not about promoting big names. This is not about branding. This is not about um, merchandising. You know, like, I don't want it to, I don't want us to sell You're anything. You're going to have love-ass t-shirts? Yeah, well, they might be. I'm, it might be, like, people bring their own t-shirts and we screen print them on the day or something. There's been somebody talking about that. So, it's going to be a ground-up kind of mm. Like, I love the idea that I'm, like, shaping a general shape and asking a question that prompts people's imaginations and then to be kind of like, what, is that, what does that become? You've yeah. already had one meeting? Yes, we've had one. We've got two more to go. What and came out of the one? Uh, we basically just decided on different, like, I hate to use the word committee because it sounds so, you know, organized. but Whatever. <laughs> but we, we've made some different, like, working groups, basically, to decide. These people are dealing with marketing and promoting of it, and these people are dealing with, like, inviting people to come and do their thing, and these people are organizing the space. And so we basically made these different working groups and um, started delegating that. But I will say, if there are people who are listening who can't come to our local one, um, I actually have the... Whatever we are shaping, I'm happy to share with people wherever they are so that mm-hmm. they can do it themselves. And it could just be you and your neighbors asking this question of each other and getting together in somebody's backyard and doing it. You know, it doesn't have to be a citywide kind of a thing. Um, or your church could do it in the local park or whatever, you know, to just um, to ask that question and see what emerges. So I'm happy to share whatever marketing materials or, like, you know, there's some writing that's involved in shaping the vision that I'm happy to share with folks mm-hmm. too. So... Um, there is a Facebook event page um, that people could people can contact you through an event page, can't they? Yep. Yeah, so you could find that. It's just called All Things New Fest, um, an event on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure it's public so that people could find that and um, find me and I can share resources as we shape them. So what what then does, at the end of it, after on <laughs> July 15th, <laughs> what do you and reflect? And we all sleep in. What do you reflect and say, man, this was know. successful? Let's what does success out. look like? Or what does success look like? Yeah. If somebody comes and somebody catches the vision, that's I'm fine. Like I don't I don't need it to look like a certain thing. I'm actually my focus. It's a good question actually, because um, I don't have in mind a certain number of people or any particular outcomes apart from the joy of the Lord becoming more evident in Christian or in human lives. Because um, when you say all things new, I I feel like I get that language, but mm. for some people that's a new language, right? Like. Like, because the idea is the new creation mm-hmm. and, uh, man, God's all constantly making things new. And there's, like you said earlier, there's seeds of God and everything. And how can we pull that out? And But I don't know if all Christians process no. that way. Yeah. So I feel like, because what with the, the second that you first, I first heard about it, the first thing I thought about, which is an interesting, I don't think that your festival's going there yet, was all the non-Christians I know who also contribute to, man, there's, like, the first person I thought of, actually, is a friend of mine who actually was on our show once. He's an atheist, Mm -hmm. a pretty staunch atheist. He's a blacksmith. And he creates these amazing things. And I'm like, oh, man, there's the creator, like, coming out of you all the time, even though you don't want him to. Like, how, so that's, so I thought of people like that, like. Yeah. um, But at the same time, so that's what I was trying to figure out, like, is it, as far as the creators you have or the people there who will be speaking or creating or making or doing or singing or wh- whatever, um, there is it how important is it that they are all 
Christians yeah, or believers. Yeah, that's interesting. Or, I want it to be, and I specifically say it's a Christian festival because I want it to be God getting the credit for all things being made new. If if non Christians come, that's fantastic. Right. No, and I like that. Yeah, I think I asked purposely because I knew. No, that's say a this. really good question. Um, I think my hope. I just love the church, and I think she's so broken at the moment, and we have lost that vision ourselves that mm-hmm. God is making all things new, and we are also wrapped up in the despairing of the world. And so I first feel called to even encourage Christians to re- renew that vision. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, like I trust that every, because I've seen this in my own heart, as I am seeing that become reality in my own world, and I'm trusting that God is making all things new, that shapes my everyday engagement with the world around me. And so um, my hope, I guess, and I'm glad that you're asking me this because I hadn't thought this through, but in words anyway, I think I, I had a sense of it that I long for every Christian who comes to be restored in that to the point that it actually changes their world mm. and changes how they engage with others around them and that other people actually can say like, wow, Christians are tapped into something. I want to know more yeah. about that instead of like, oh, Christians are the ones who are actually making me hate my life right now you know um so yeah i i have i have had a a sense and this is really weird but um when i hear the words behold i make all things new this image comes with it every time of god giving birth Mm. which um so like live birthing pools the party yeah that's totally what <laughs> come we on to we're gonna try to induce labor for as many people as possible on this day <laughs> so we can hear the screams of newborns yeah everywhere. that's great get all your doulas but you know i mean the the birth pains are used all the time of end times and um as someone who's gone through that process two times there's a beautiful way in which the pain is not purposeless and the pain mm. is actually birth pain that you are absolutely willing to go through because you believe something new is being created. Mm. Mm. And so I, I, while it's weird to imagine God giving birth, I believe that that's what he's doing or that, that I, how does a man give birth? You know, I don't even want to mess with that, but, um, Oh, we're assuming God's a man. Yeah, yeah. I know. Let's just, so <laughs> real woke of you. Real woke. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. Weird. But, but I mean, I like the way that that messes with our mm. with our imaginations because Scripture does. I mean, there's a passage in Isaiah where where he is, where God is described as, you know, the panting of a of a woman in labor, and Jesus Himself talks about the the pains like a woman giving birth, and then, so I don't know. It's not a absolutely ridiculous thing to imagine God in whatever shape God is in, shape rebirthing this whole world and. The thing that's hope, the reason I'm saying about this is what if the pain is not pain of death? Mm. What if the pain is birth pain? Mm. And um, so I want to renew even Christian imaginations for that possibility because we do feel the pain of this world as we should. The world is broken. It's not what it was supposed to be. And I think we stop there. I think we get stuck so much in the despair of this broken world that we actually become like everybody else mm-hmm. who doesn't know hope. And we become, what good news do we have to bring? Well, we start longing for the end real quick. Right. Please like, come. Just get me out just of this. Just get me out of here. Yeah. There's, there's some car around Oakley where it's a lady who has it written all over her car in these big white letters like, uh, get out of this world. Jesus is coming soon. Right. We're going to escape. And I understand I'm like, that. Man, that's... Yeah. But it's such a bleak way to see exactly. the world. It's such a, it's such a 
bastardization of the message, I think. Like, right. We just missed the whole point with we, that. We struggle with our kids. Um, they hated taking violin and viola lessons. Mm. And because I'm, like, they love playing guitar and drums. Like, we love big rock music, right? And so they didn't love the classical music or the devotion of it. And one day, my youngest, who's super bright, was really fighting us on viola. It's like, I'm a good drummer. I like drumming. I like to do these other things. This is a waste of my time. And I'm going to quit as soon as you let me. So why are we sticking mm. this out? And I said, you know, at some point, is I've never, and I want to tell him two things. I said, one, I've never met anybody who said, I'm really glad my parents let me quit strings when I was young. Mm. Everybody I've met whose parents let them quit says, I wish my parents made me stick it out. So we're going to actually stick it out a little bit longer. And the second thing was, it's like, in the world, and this is not me, and he like almost went cross-eyed when I said this, because this is such a strange thing for me to say. I said, the world can be a really ugly place, and for the 15 minutes a day that you play violin, or viola, mm. you've induced beauty into the world. Mm. Like you've made, I want you to say things like that to me more. <laughs> but I, and I said, you, I you've it. made something beautiful, and nobody heard it. Yeah. Other than me and your mom, nobody heard this. This isn't a performance. This isn't because mm. I think that actually steals some of the beauty from this. But for 15 minutes, you made, you took somebody else's thing, and you made it your own, and you practiced, and you worked at it, mm. and you made something really beautiful. And I could see his brain trying to get around the argument. I could see uh, him trying can't argue with beauty. But he, Pull he, that out every day. That's a good one. He re, we actually just let him give up. We let him you give see, up eating your breakfast creates beauty, beauty. in the world. But that's so not does a, feeding the dog. The, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a me way of thinking about the world in general. But as I said, I was like, oh, man, that's a good line for him on this music stuff. And I believe it about music. Yeah. Oh, music is has a unique way that right. it does that. But I what think. if I believed it in the way that I volunteer in their school? Yeah. What if I believed it? Like, yeah. so I am on their community council. What if it meant that in this task that yeah. I hate, yeah. what's it look like it. for mm. to do that in a meaningful way? Like, that's the only way that I keep doing that job. Mm. So, for that's instance, good. in the All Things New Festival, given that conversation, ideally you would want someone like Lucas playing on yep, the tree absolutely. playing his violin. And we don't want it to be professional like, people. Right, right, we like, don't want it. We're right. not paying people that's, to do that's this. That's the, that's the vibe you're yes. going for, right? Yeah, like, if a kid comes and says, this is what makes me believe God is making yeah. all things new, absolutely. Well, I, and that's the hard thing is teaching them that, yes. that line. Yes, like, Not as a like a throwaway line, but that sort of like as a bedrock philosophy. Because then everything's different, right? Then your job now has meaning. Then your school now has meaning. Your relationships yeah. have meaning. These things are worth now fighting for. Mm-hmm. I really like the death pain or birth pain, right? Yeah. yeah. I think, too, that I'm around so many very well-meaning, very intense, intelligent, educated people, and we are taught when something is wrong to hyper-focus on it. Mm-hmm. And it goes against our instinct to say, that's really important, so I'm going to set it aside for a little while. I'm going to go do this thing over here. Mm. <laughs> but I think when, like, even when Jesus says, consider the lilies, that seems like a hallmark kind of sentiment. Yeah. But what he's saying is, step out of this economy for a little while, step into the economy of God, where birds are always taken care of, mm. and lilies are beautifully clothed, and you will then return to what the world thinks is important, and you'll get some stuff done, and you'll be just fine. But you'll return to it with this different vision mm. of this economy that is happening and has been happening throughout the centuries before you even existed. And so it doesn't begin and end with you. It's not your, like, yes, lament what's broken, but it's not your job entirely to fix it or right, to right. even understand it. And so just having one day like this where we just, like, disengage from the pain for a little while, not because it's, not to numb. Not escapism. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. 
not to pretend that's not true, but to just stop hyper-engaging for yeah. a while and thinking, because it's easy to, when we hyper-engage, it, it's basically saying we think that is all of reality. And to step into other parts of reality for a while to restore our spirits and our hearts so that we can return back to listening to the news and taking our kids to school and, you know, doing the banking or whatever. Um, or, you know, really engaging with the really hard stuff in the world with just a different imagination. Right, right. So, yeah. Perspective, like it's, it's a, it, this is a boring word, but it's perspective, right? Like the the world as constituted right now particularly our culture allows things to get overinflated and what you're this idea is to say no no i'm just going to put this in its proper perspective because i'm not that guy i'm the guy as soon as there's a problem i need to i lose my everything else stops and i freak out on solving the problem but i don't ever solve the problem so then that just lays this underlying noise running after that yeah sometimes you solve the problem you're a good problem solver. <laughs> Look at I, you. I like it. Look, you're already doing what I do. You're already good at what you do. Yeah. And you could even be better. <laughs> um, so, uh, one thing I like about you as I was listening to it the whole time is, is there's a lot of people who probably have a lot of thoughts of like, oh man, I'd love to do this. Most people couldn't just get do a it. festival going. I love that you sent one email... And immediately you have a team of people I who are like... I was overwhelmed with people responding. I know. You immediately have a team of people who are like, let's do a festival. Yeah, like 25 you're, people. You're like, going, sure. You're going to have a... Fe- that's what... I think that is an amazing part of just you and your ministry or whatever else you want to say it is. Uh, anyways, that you can motivate a festival that's well, going to happen. And, you know, who knows what will happen out of it, but you're totally going to do a festival in July, and that's kind of cool. Because the funny thing is... Um, I don't, I'm not actively trying to motivate anybody. I think what actually is the scary part that you mentioned um, is letting your own joy be seen. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you say, like, I think I think when I was a kid, I don't know if you had this in in American playgrounds, but in Australian playgrounds there was the boss of the game, like the person who thought, "Let's play this game." Did you call him bossy? The boss of the game. No, we didn't. <laughs> but if somebody else comes, like if there's 20 kids running around doing a particular game and someone else says, can I join? Everyone else has to say, you can't ask me. You have to ask the boss of the game. Huh. And that was always the boss. I was always the boss of the game because I would just be like, Do the kids, hey, el- kids elect boss of the game? What if we... No, no, no. It's the person who had the idea yeah. of the game. So it's the creative kid becomes the boss of the game. Got it. And it wasn't to be bossy. Like you're just the one who gets to say who, who how the game goes. Right. And so the funny thing is, I don't remember being bossy. I just remember saying like, what if we did this thing? You know? And so as an adult, you're not, you're not really encouraged to, to, grow, to grow community or gather people to something by saying, by sharing your joy or your imagination. Usually it is like, I'm going to motivate you to agree with me or I'm right. going to force you to do something that I want. And um, it is scary as a leader to, to let your own joy be seen, especially if you don't even know where it's going to lead you. Right. Like, I had the beginning prompt. <laughs> and and so um, that's a part of what's terrifying, Yeah, that's too. what's good, though, is that you can plant that seed and just see what happens where yeah, it goes. and trust that, like, we're all longing for that. Boss of the Game that. is not an American thing. We had King of the Hill. Uh, you conquer. And if you can conquer the person up there, then you become King of the Hill. Then you become that's funny. <laughs> that, that, that's the American way. Maybe How can also, I maybe throw a dirt claw, girl, hit you in the face, and knock you off the hill, and then I become the new king <laughs> until someone tougher comes and kings me out? I like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, the American. 
And I, I guess I'm trying to say, like, that's not unique to me. I think we all have that joy. The question is if we're willing to let that be seen in a leadership capacity. Mm. And um, well, I, it's scary. I, joy is my has been my... I don't do... I don't think there's hardly anything I do out of joy anymore. I quit my last band when I realized it was a drag. Mm. And I started, like, we would get... But you love the music. I love to play music. But yeah. it would it, become a lot of work. I was sad and, for you when you quit. And it was... I was maybe a, we were the ones getting the joy from you being in the band. And maybe... But it got to the point where that was a that was a motivational factor. I was like, well, I'm, I'm here for other people. I'm doing for other people. But I don't have any joy in this at all. Mm. We Like, we get... We didn't... My lead singer would call and say, hey, we got a gig this week. I, I booked these four gigs. I'm like, ugh. Mm. Like I'm like I'm not doing this for joy, and I looked around. And I was like I don't do anything for joy. Almost everything I do is out of obligation. Mm. These are the things that I'm supposed to do as a responsible adult, as a father, as a mm-hmm. community member, those kind of things. And so it's lately it's been trying to to find that balance, but not devolve into like just like narcissism, right? It mm. just says whatever I want or whatever makes me happy mm. is the thing that mm. I do. And mm. there's a good there's a bunch of Christian ink that's been spilled on the difference between joy and happiness. Yeah. Right, and I really like that. But it's, but I think, as I think about that, I think it's something you have to cultivate and grow. Yeah, you can't. I can't tomorrow decide to be more joyful. Mm-hmm. I have to tomorrow. Yes. Tomorrow oh, decide to take. None a, of this came from me trying to have joy. In fact, I hate it when people tell me I have to be joyful. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you'd be joyful. <laughs> here's what's here's what began it for me. Uh, being on sabbatical two years ago and having nothing to do and saying, what on earth am I supposed to do with all this time? Everyone else in my world is working. Yeah. And realizing I could be a child for, for eight weeks. Mm. And so one thing that often gets really great conversation going is when I ask people, what did you do when you had no chores and no homework on a Saturday morning? And you just like, as a kid, you didn't even have to think about it. It was just this instinct that you just had to do this thing. Mm. And um, there's a guy called Stuart Brown who runs the National Institute for Play, mm-hmm. who's actually shaped um, a list of eight play languages that um, I'm sure you can Google and find them. And um, it's been really interesting to acknowledge, like we still have that play personality mm-hmm. that we had when we were a kid. Right. And it's been um, something we've been told that's ridiculous and that's silly yep. and that's for kids. But we still have that in us and yep. it might look different when we're adults. So when I was a kid, it was like, let's play this game. And now it's like, let's have this festival, you mm-hmm. know. And, um, and so to take the time when we do have you know, we don't have control of all of our time and we're concerned, I think, sometimes when we're talking about play and joy that we, like, might forget to go to work or something. But even with the time that we do have in our hands, with our free time, to just say, what would that look like to have to go back to that same prompt I had as a kid and to listen to that again as an adult? It might look different. And I promise you that if you spend any time doing that, it will, A connect with some source of joy which also will surprisingly have you stumbling upon the lord at play in his own creation mm. and b it will unearth some serious hesitation some like you said oh i don't want to be too much of a narcissist like there are so many ways something happened between when we were kids and now that made us think oh this is silly yeah. and we're either worried about what people will think of us we're worried that we won't be productive enough right. we're worried about performance issues so many things got unearthed in that sabbatical of mine just by the seemingly simple act of playing mm-hmm. and just like enjoying creation and listening to my senses and my instincts and crying when I feel like crying and napping when I feel like napping and whatever. 
One time I spent 45 minutes saving worms just because I felt like it. Like it would be, it had been rainy and there were worms all over the pavement when I was walking and I stood there with a stick and picked them all up and put them in the grass. And um, it took me, I think like 45 minutes later, I looked up and I realized like, oh, have people been watching me? <laughs> it was at CCU where I'm like the professor's wife, you know, and they're like, she's that weird lady who picks up worms all morning long. So, like, it wasn't even necessarily, like, joyful. It was just yeah. present yeah. and responsive to the world, you know. I and do love those moments. Yeah, I know. I think we all, no matter how we get there, we mm -hmm. all long yeah. for those moments. And God is in those moments and longs to find us in those moments. And so, yeah, don't try to be joyful. Mm. Just try to remember how you knew how to engage as a child and that there's parts of you that still long to engage and God is still longing to engage with you in those ways. And as you... As you explore that and get over all the baggage that adulthood has given us with that, something, I promise you, something will connect. Well, that's one God. of the things from your, one of your books, I don't know which one, but uh, you talk about like, hey, you can find it in doing the dishes, you can find yeah. it in whatever it is. Yeah, if he's in everything, then, I mean, we don't, we can't always control how we find him or when we find him, but um, I think it does grow from this basic foundational faith that. Uh, I think I said this to you guys earlier that like he's planted clues of himself in everything in his creation and he has then gifted us with all kinds of capacities to perceive those things through our senses and our emotions and our relationships and our bodies and our minds and our hearts and we kind of say well God has to only show himself to us in these logical syllogisms you know and we're cutting him down to this tiny shape yep. and cutting ourselves down at the same time and setting aside all these other ways that we can discover him and so um well and i think yeah people are like you get 25 volunteers because you do that as a normal part of discipline in your life right like this is something you do all the time this sort of cultivating joy or trying to be responsive to this idea and really out and so that's an immediately like everybody's going to say yes i want some of that too and so 25 people show up to volunteer and help mm -hmm. or is that like the way and because as i'm thinking about it, i'm like Oh, why when we serve our community dinner, why do we have to drag for volunteers? Why do twenty five people not show up for that? Why is this harder to make work than that is? Right, and that's the case for me too. Like, sure. don't put me on this pedestal of like Mandy can just get some volunteers. That's not the case at all. But I but guess this idea resonates, our, right? Yeah, and that's a part of our call or our challenge, I guess, as Christian leaders, is like how do we connect this. I guess if we are doing everything out of obligation and we feel like this is just a chore, then that's going to come across yes. in the way that we invite other people into it. And so you're just making me think about how in every way that we're inviting people into community and service together, how are we painting this broader picture of this as a part of how God is making mm. all things new? Even if right. we're feeding homeless people, um, how does that connect to yeah. all these other pieces of our lives? You know, I guess with that that's why our champagne brunch is so successful because we really believe in it. <laughs> yeah. We really think it oh, means yeah. something. I could see you. Your faces were lighting up when you were telling. Yeah, me I know because it was so exciting. I feel like we came up with a good idea there. Like I feel like we were. Like, <laughs> yeah. We did something that's it's it's edgy enough that people are going to balk at it at first, but it's also something that we can defend. Like right. that I, I know. And it's something that defines our church. If that's a, a Hank, like there's a dude I actually talked to. And he was talking about how he went to a church uh, this past Easter Sunday and was like, oh, man, it was just horrible. And I was like, oh, why didn't you come to Legend, blah, blah, blah. And I started telling him what we do. And I immediately saw him, I was like, oh, this is not. He was like, yeah. well, I, <laughs> right. he made a, a sinny joke. 
But I was like, eh, you never mind. You should probably never come. <laughs> You'll like me more if you just never come. <laughs> like, I think um, it also obviously expressed something that is true of you guys as whole people. Like, it's mm-hmm. a multi-sensory experience that yeah. allows you to bring something from your regular life into your church community. And, like, it's also meaningful because it lets you function as whole people mm. together, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I feel like better things happen in that hour. Not that the next hour wasn't bad with preaching and song. It was great too. But like people talking and communing. I was watching new people sit with people who've been in our church for years. And, mm, you know, groups have known each other get together. And the, you know, the kids table, it was funny. And like I was, it was really cool to be like, man, this is life. And this is. Those are the days church aren't work. Church is at work. Yeah. Like those are the days where church is at work. It's yeah. it's natural and it right, feels right. Which the first church wasn't, right? Yeah. I mean, how many people were being paid right, right, with right, the 120 right. or the 3,000? Um, and so I actually think sometimes that people like you guys and me who maybe don't fit the norm and have had to, like you guys are doing this kind of um, bivocational thing, there's a way I think in which some Sometimes um, people who don't feel entitled to ministry to just walk into a ready-made career that's just this perfect job just for them um, actually have to do it for the love of it or for a hobby or, you know, like for the right reasons. Mm. As much as that feels less professional, I think most of the people that I know who don't feel entitled to ministry or who have to come at it from a different perspective actually um, remember how to make it not just a job. Which right. actually makes it not just a job well, yeah, for the people yeah. in the community too. That is true. That's I never thought about that, but it is. And and the people I know who lament it the most, uh, or maybe have that sense of entitlement, like they feel. Uh, we I mean we say all the guilty. time that we're not particularly gifted in ministry in the way that it's the way that we were taught that ministry gifting. I was like, right. day workmen told us different. Um, <laughs> but we say all the well, time. Well, not in the traditional the, the normal tradition, ways. But we yeah. say we're available. Yeah. Like when you look at the, yeah. there are people that are better public speakers than us, people that are better organizers than us, people that are better mentors or the disciples or whatever, fundraising, yeah. whatever the thing is, there's people that are better than us, mm. but they quit early mm. and we didn't quit. Like there's something to do. And that's, this is actually my battle cry for everything I do. Like I'm not, I'm, there's no reason I should be chairing anything for the community council or for our school, but I'm available. Yeah. And that availability is a big deal in the world right now. Well, and I want to say like you guys are absolutely gifted for ministry you don't look like the norm of what the church in the the last 50 years in Western culture has decided as a right, Christian right, right, leader. Right. But I was actually just thinking, okay, think of the most, the person in your life who most reminds you of Jesus. Now, would they actually be welcomed as a leader of a church? Mm. Probably not. Probably not. They'd mm. probably be too childish or too whimsical or cry too much or care too much or not take pay attention to the time enough or you know whatever and so um i think this is also what was so transformative about jesus is that again it it grows from his own delight and it grows from his own longing and he Mm. lets himself be seen and so what kind of warped situation have we shaped in the modern church that people who look like jesus actually are not usually recognized as leaders of this movement we had people leave our church because we weren't pastoral enough we weren't pastor enough, but we 
we did all the things that they felt like a, a, a good Christian should do. Like we served and we wow. discipled and mentored. But you didn't look like a leader in the business model kind of sense. Didn't look like a leader in the business model kind of sense. That was a real disconnect for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a kind of idolatry that we can create in wanting a leader who has really easy answers and never doubts and is always on. And I think actually what we're doing is we're looking for them to be God. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some people in our church who actually are waiting for us to get there. Oh, one day. One day, they'll one day. Grow up. I really do think there are people who think, oh That's man, they're great. getting there. I'm yeah. like, eh, yeah. probably not. Don't get too far there. Two steps forward, two steps but, back. I mean, that, I mean, people who do fit the leadership model norm of this particular culture. We need them. We just need more than them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I myself almost walked away from faith and from ministry entirely because I didn't see anybody like myself in leadership. Not just the gender thing, just personality issues too. And so... Mm. And that was why originally that day I saw in the coffee shop, I was like, that's it. She's the person who's a lot more similar to me than everyone else I meet. Right. But I mean... What if every single Christian person could be a leader of a church or could be mm-hmm. a, you know, leader in the ter- in the sense of like owning the mission and stepping into their part of it? Mm-hmm. I think we're all supposed to be doing that. And if we only represent, if we only present one way of doing that, then we limit so many people in stepping into the mission. And we also limit so many people who we are reaching out to because... There are some people in the world who need to hear the gospel, but who couldn't hear it through that traditional right, right, right. leader model, you know, right. who yeah. need to hear it through an artist or through a weirdo or through an yeah. introvert or whoever doesn't fit the norm, you know. Does that make you the weirdo? Yep. Yeah. Is that you guys? That's a, yeah, that's, well, that's how my battle cry, like we did, we're doing a Bible study in First Timothy and you go through like Timothy's qualifications for elders. None of those are things that you that Paul would be like, well, yes, for elders, but no, for everybody else. Oh, interesting. Like, it's okay for the rest of you to not do I gave that same sermon to CCU and I got in trouble. Every oh, single really? person yeah. would be expected to follow those beliefs. A certain campus minister is not there anymore got really mad because <laughs> uh, I said the word masturbation. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I was going through how, like, his qualifications for leaders should apply to all, A, CCU, but all of us. And I got to the husband one, one wife part, and I was like, you know, this does not apply to most of us here in that respect. But it's like I think it does talk something about where, uh, how addicted or not addicted we are to our sexuality, and how much we put into that. And I was like, truth is, some of you guys masturbate way too much. That's what I said. And girls, it's like some of you put way too much into that, and you probably need to curb it. Uh, and that's it. And I went on, and I got called the next day, and he was like, wow. "What did you mean by that?" I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> Exactly what I said, and he's like, well, "Why would you say too much or whatever else?" I was like, <laughs> "What's the I don't right know. amount?" I was like, "What's the right amount?" I was like, "Do you think they're not?" I was like, "I went here, you went here. I'm sure you know. <laughs> I got stories. We all do." Anyways, but wow. I remember thinking that same thing and be like, "Ooh, man, that one I didn't realize would be a thing." Um, How hey, do we recover from that little inside foray? Yeah. We had to edit stuff out last time, so oh, that's nice. You can't. You can't oh. get to our yeah. and if we have to edit it out, it was That's bad. I forgot bad. what it was. Oh yeah, it was pretty. It was. It was bad. It wasn't bad, bad. But it just wasn't worth it. It could have been taken out of context, pretty bad. Hey, uh, one question I have as I've been thinking about the All Things New Festival. Um, how, so I hear it. I'm like, oh man, I'm way in. Just like you sent the email, I'm, like, I'm way in. That sounds awesome. That's that's totally up my alley. How do you get people? And I'm thinking particularly my wife, who. Uh, you use the word like, oh, that sounds like a hippie fest or whatever earlier. Like, could, she'll think that. And how would I, and not that I couldn't say, hey, we're going to go and it'll be great. But like, I was just thinking if she saw that, she would immediately think, oh, it's probably not for me. 
mm. because I'm not artistic. I'm not, um, that's not my, so how would you get someone, I guess is a question for your marketing company, like, oh, how do you get someone who's like, oh man, I would just, because the idea isn't necessarily to get all the artists that we can. No. The idea is that I show up, yeah. I walk around and I start seeing all these things and experiencing these things and my mm. thought process is now, That's man, God does make You're all things You're helping me new. shape this idea in my um, I guess um, I have, I have, I'm a strong believer in the people of peace kind of concept and since we're not out of pocket in any way, which for me means spending money. I've heard people say out of pocket meaning out of town. No, no, I no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Those people so we're from not, Australia who say that. Yeah, no, they were all from the south. I did a survey on Facebook. <laughs> what? Like, I've never yeah, heard anyone. I'm from the south. I've never heard like, hey, I'm about to head out of pocket. Yeah. That's another thing. I've had three I've people never say heard that to me. Someone made that, that up, man. Wow. Okay, well, maybe, anyway, maybe like we're not Kentucky spending any of our own money on this. So, like, I genuinely don't need a certain number of people to come. Whatever, whoever comes is what's going to be. But um, so I'm not like, oh yeah, we got to get everybody yeah. there. It's not like Sunday mornings where if we you don't. Have to... If we don't yield twenty tithing families out of this, exactly. then this is not I'm successful. Not that. But also <laughs> like, um, part, maybe part of me is is like wanting to begin at least with the people who get it, mm. and mm. and renew that in them, and see what happens right. when they catch that vision, and then they I, can help. I think spread this is it. so good. like. As somebody who came out of like a vineyard movement and where evangelism and outreach is the only thing that we talked about, it's really good sometimes just to say, no, there's some stuff that's ours. There's mm. some stuff that's us that won't make sense to our friends who don't look. Not that you're not welcome. Not that we wouldn't be hospitable. Yeah. But I'm not. Anybody's welcome. I'm not going to go out of my way to translate this if it doesn't automatically right. make sense right, right away because it's bigger than being translated. Right. Yes. Like it's too big. It's what how happens? we approach our Easter service. It's like, hey, this is for us. You know, I know new people come. We're supposed to care, but like. We're gonna use insider language today. We're gonna like this is our day. Right. So if you're, I sometimes I get like we shouldn't even cater to new people in some ages at all because like this is about it. This should be a day of well, I don't have to worry about. Well, they're new for a short time and yeah. then they become insiders yeah, yeah. and then are we always gonna be talking end, to the people who aren't new? Yeah, who go. are new? Yeah. So how do we actually feed the people who are coming? And it's actually amazing how much in the New Testament they're talking about the church taking care of the church. Yeah. You know the widows and the orphans are not mm, like yeah. the people just out there. But not for this. But but we take care of the church for the sake of the world. The, right. the church can restore its mission, and so um, I think that something you said made me think of something. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I cut it. you off. No, it was to do with um, helping people get. Helping people get it. Oh, you're talking about evangelism. What happens then if we don't help people actually receive? this good news themselves and for it to mean something to them when we start saying okay you've got to get on with the work of the mission it just feels exactly like what you're talking about before about i'm just doing this because it's a chore right. and then people in the world around us say like whenever they start talking about jesus their face just looks so stressed out yeah. you know and they're getting out their tracts and they look really burdened and so this absolutely is connected to the broader world and to the work mm. of evangelism but it's. I think I. I personally have gone through a process in the last couple of years of actually feeling like this is good news for the first time in my yeah. whole life, mm. and um, wanting for the church to remember the good news mm. first, so that when it does get about the business of the hard of those hard things, that it actually does. I mean, it's actually interesting because then it does come from that kind of joy. So that when they're saying like I did to twenty five people, do you want to make this thing happen? You know, when we're saying that to the broader world. There's something God's doing. Don't you want to hear about it? Yeah. That that suddenly people see it in our own faces and say, "Oh, 
this what is going on with these people you know instead of I mean I know my face surely when I have to talk about those things to non-Christians I know how I must look to them and it's like pained Mm -hmm. you know and why would anybody want to hear more about that so yeah I do think I'm glad you're asking those questions because on a gut level I was thinking this is first of all to to restore the hope of the people who are supposed to have hope Mm, so that we can be restored to the mission and if it raises questions for people who don't know Jesus that's great too so then do you want people like us to be like hey advertise us to your church you should totally come sure I'm actually a little bit worried we're going to have too many people. (laughs) So I'm not going to go out of my way to, like, there have been some things I've been a part of promoting that I've been, like, really pushing. I'm just going to put it on Facebook, and whoever wants to share it can share it. And um, one thing I'm really excited about is other people doing it in other places as well. Mm -hmm. So I have, I've already written a couple of blog posts um, for Missio Alliance about that, telling people elsewhere. And there's, like, four or five people in other cities who are, like... You mean you're not going to package it and sell it? (laughs) Sorry. So yeah, you guys, I want you guys to come preach or draw pictures or play your guitar or whatever. Uh, when you, you, need to, you need to preach while you're strumming when you your bass. When you said the bread, I was Do a chord that. and then make a point. Another Bring your accordion. Oh, yes. I love it. Seriously. It's a disaster. It does. We have witnesses. We've asked you to do that. Now you have to do it. I have to check But it might be something else that nobody uh, even knows about. Maybe you make jam. I make my own pasta it's actually my favorite thing to do for people cool I should do we'll that. do that well um that's what you could tell your wife too i mean like well i was thinking of so God is making one of my sweet. things and we don't i guess this doesn't have to be pockets but like one of my things lately has been not about like there's things that bring me life that i think i'm good i like doing <clears> art i like to do stuff like that but what i really like is how awesome my family is so I was like, ooh, maybe your whole family should show up and just make pasta. Just come. That's oh, we do. Make that would pasta be cool. and have food. And give it away we to make people. Make a sauce. Bring them a little camp stove. Make do a sauce. That. Boil some water. Yeah. So that's like that's a part of what I'm excited See, about. Because I, I, the thing with pasta is I like that you make the dough and your hands are in yeah. it. Yeah. I like things that your hands are in. Yeah. But I like it because even, like, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, And you exactly. had to stop and think about, like, what does help me believe God is making all things right. new? And what does help me feel alive? And, um... I did like I would have thought of you as coming and preaching or coming and drawing or something you know whatever you know the things I know of you yeah but like this is what I'm saying like nobody would say Mandy dances because I don't are you gonna dance no I'm gonna sit there and do the awkward Elaine dance here's the thing I'm gonna do the what are the what the awkward Elaine dance oh yeah (laughs) no I'll save you that um I uh (laughs) when I was a kid I had never ever taken a dance class class in my life but my best friend and I loved making up dances by ourselves and we would like tell the principal of the school we've made up this dance mm. so let's get physical the whole school needs to watch us do this dance did you do so, it? yep several times most of the kids in my school remember me because, oh, the dancer. because of this person who didn't know what she was doing and who was like let's do this yeah so that's really embarrassing but um, the thing about a barn dance is there's enough structure yeah. It's like church. Community dance. Yeah. And it's not like... The problem with most of our contemporary dance now is like, get out on the dance floor and straighten your stuff yeah. and show them all your moves. And I don't know. I'm from the 70s, so <laughs> that's what we would say. But I don't know how people talk about that anymore. But So um, it's very individualistic. It's very performance-oriented. Yeah. And that's why I don't dance in public. But a barn dance, absolutely. Kim, you know. and I, Kim and I are taking dance lessons right now. Cool. And it's a huge deal for her. I don't love it. Like, dance is not a thing I love. But I love how much she loves it. Mm. And how much, like, non-sexual, physical, intimate touch 
And I like how just how critical that is for a relationship. I think it would be good for every marriage. Too. I have a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Every married couple should take dance lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but we switched. So the men can know how to lead. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Actually, the woman is the one who led you to the dance lessons, right? But and 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 yes, a hundred percent. But she also she does really like the dancing. Does encourage me to lead. Mm. The dancing does encourage. Like she would say, I think probably to be bold, mm. like to do what you know to do. Interesting. Um, but so we moved last night. We've been doing swing dances, swing dance since January, and I don't love it because I feel like swing dance is the thing that white people do to spontaneous music. Like that we there's rock and roll music, and there's people that move to it, and then white people say, okay, well let's give it rules and structure and organization, oh, right? And so you learn, and that's helpful for me who doesn't know how to dance, but it, it feels very soulless and very very yeah. like white. No, but didn't swing uh, like come out of it like out of uh, underground sort of like yeah. that's. Yeah. Let's do these things that they won't let us do. Yeah. But so now the there's all these rules to what you do. Sort of... And I don't think they're rules like that, but it's like, here's how you know what you're doing. So there's like, there's a balance there. But last night we started doing foxtrot dancing, which is mm. like slow and graceful and big band jazz and those kind of And that was, I appreciated the steps and I liked the rigidity of it. I liked the formality mm. of it. Mm. And I actually felt significantly more confident in that because the rules made sense with the dance where they felt like it never mm. made sense mm. with rock with swing dancing. Interesting. Or like swing dancing to rock and roll music, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, but it's with here you talk about dance so much. Like it is because it's one of those things that like I've got three other sort of commitments on Thursday nights and I realized about a month into it that I needed to rearrange all of my commitments because this was important enough to Kim that I had better I had better make dancing a priority for I our love family. that. Um, are we almost done? Yeah. Sure. Because I have a quote from Thomas Merton. Let's hear it. That must be read. Okay. But uh, here it is. Are you ready? Yes. It's about a minute long, so it's a little bit long. Oh, great. They know we're going to It will be a perfect place to end our podcast. Let's do it. We're going to play this and then end it. All right. It's where Thomas Burton ends the new seeds of contemplation, so it also seems fitting to end a podcast this way. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. you got to really listen because it's kind of every right, word. Every word has meaning. Got it. Go. All right. And he says men, but I think he means humans. What is serious to men is often very trivial in the sight of God. What in God might appear to us as play is perhaps what he himself takes most seriously. At any rate, the Lord plays and diverts himself in the garden of his creation. And if we could let go of our our own obsession with what we think is the meaning of it all, we might be able to hear his call and follow him in his mysterious cosmic dance. We do not have to go very far to catch echoes of that game and of that dancing. When we are alone on a starlit night, when by chance we see the migra- migrating birds in autumn descending on a grove, grove of ju- junipers to rest and eat, when we see children in a moment when they are really children, when we know love in our own hearts. At such times, the awakening, the turning inside out of all values, the newness, the emptiness, and the purity of vision that make themselves evident provide a glimpse of the cosmic dance. For the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. The more we persist in misunderstanding the phenomena of life, the more we analyze them out into strange finalities and complex purposes of our own, the more we involve ourselves in sadness, absurdity, and despair. But it does not matter much because no despair of ours can alter the reality of things or stain the joy of the cosmic dance which is always there. Indeed, we are in the midst of it and it is in the midst of us. 
for it beats in our very blood whether we want it to or not. Yet the fact remains that we are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and join in the general dance.